0: Welcome back to Navy Yard, Nats fans, and head on over to Walters. It's going to be a big time homestand for the Nats and everyone is gathering at Walters before, during, and after the games in the AC or under the covered streetery. Walters is the place to be. This week's reservations are going fast, including those for Sunday, July 4th, when Walters will be opening at nine in the morning for the early game. Make your reservations now at waltersdc.com slash reservations.
1: Tuesday before the Rays series begins, stop by Walter's and meet our producer, Tim Shover's first fan to come by. will be given a free Nats Chat t-shirt. We're driven by the search for
2: better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to Indeed data,
3: one two to Marte strike three called over the inside corner with a changeup that's career strikeout 2900 for Max as he inches within a 100 to 3000 mark outfield gives Turner a big gap in left center as they shade him to right center a long hold the 0-1 swinging a high fly ball right center field deep Cooper giving chase this one's way back there it may go and it's gone Opposite field, right center, home run number 12 for Trey Turner, and the Nationals are in front, 3-1. to one. The 1-1. One, one. Swing and a drive, left center field. This one is crushed. Way back goes Sanchez looking up, and there it goes. Long gone to left center, over the wall for Josh Bell, his 11th of the year. The Nationals on a pair of two-run homers now lead Miami 5-1 in the sixth inning.
0: And welcome to Nats Chat for Monday, June 28, 2021, along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman of Massinsports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, losing three of four at the Miami Marlins would have been nothing short of extremely disappointing. Splitting the four-game series is just a one-game difference, but somehow it feels a whole lot better than losing three of four. Maybe it's because the Nats won the final game in the series and win the game the Nationals did, a 5-1 win, at the Marlins on Sunday afternoon, Max Scherzer was good. The Nationals get out of Miami with the four-game split, get to thirty-seven and thirty-eight on the season. The Mets lost at home to the Philadelphia Phillies four-two on Sunday afternoon, so the Nats are back to being just four games behind the National League East-leading Mets, heading into a one-game series, a makeup game on Monday, but a big game that kicks off a very big seven-game stretch of games at Nationals Park. Nats are in a good spot here with a very difficult stretch of the schedule forthcoming, Mark.
1: Yeah, look, I know people are going to say, ah, they should have won three out of four against the Marlins, the weak Marlins. And, you know, yes, you'd like to do that. But let's be honest. These are major league teams. The Marlins have a positive run differential, so they're not complete pushovers. They've had good pitching all year long. We have saw that over the course of the weekend. And to me, it's about how did you do against those teams at the end of the year? What's your total against them? Well, right now, the Nationals are five and two against the Marlins. It's hard to find any fault with that. Yeah, they could have gained one game back, would have been nice, but this is the long play here, and you want them to do well over the course of the whole season. They did what they needed to do on this road trip, and now we are going to find out what they're made of because we've been talking about this stretch for a while. This week and next week, going into the All-Star break, they've got to survive this stretch. It's going to ease up after that. So, you know, If they keep themselves around the 500 mark at the end of all this, I think that's fine. As long as the Mets don't run away with it, and I, I don't think they're going to, I think that's fine. You hold your own against these opponents that they're about to face, and you go into the all-star break where the schedule eases up and maybe guys are getting a little healthier. I think they have to feel good about their chances at that point.
0: I'm with you. If they can get to the break 500, a game or two below, a game or two above even, that's great. You take that, you run with that, and hopefully in the post-all-star break portion of the season, you're truly able to make up ground It was not a great series offensively for the Nats at Miami. The two losses were really bad offensively for the Nats. Even this win on Sunday afternoon wasn't anything special. The Nats did score five runs, yes. Did hit a couple of two-run homers. That was nice, but just six hits to go with four walks, one of five with runners in scoring position. So these last few games, you are kind of back to the Nats being, you know, not very good offensively. You know, they have their moments here and there, but we're kind of back to the way things were before all of the winning started. But the Nats did get the win on Sunday, and they did get two big home runs. Trey Turner homering for just the second time over the last few weeks here. It's amazing the lack of frequency with which he's been hitting home runs, but he does deliver a two-run opposite field homer to right center field in a Nationals four-run six inning, just his second homer since games began on May 18th. And Josh Bell with a mammoth shot in that four-run six inning, the uh, opposite field shot for Bell going to left center field, a projected 419 feet per stat cast. So as we all know, it's not always about quantity in terms of hits. It's about quality in terms of hits. And those are two real quality hits for the Nationals on Sunday.
1: And I think it's even more important for this team. Every once in a while, they're going to have a day where they get 10, 11, 12 hits and put runs in bunches and, and have sustained rallies where you're getting two out singles and doubles and all that. But I think we know that more often than not, This is the way they're going to have to do it. They're not going to hit a ton. They need to make the hits they have count. And so that means home runs, first of all, and it means homers with runners on base. And that's what made this one nice is that they both came with a man on base. That's two, two run homers, a four run rally that didn't require, you know, five, six, seven hits in a row. So that to me is nice. And here's the stat that underscores it. So this year, when they hit a home run, they're 31 and 16. That's two out of three. When they hit a homer, when they don't homer, they're 6-22, and no chance. That just says to me they're playing low-scoring games. They're usually getting good pitching. And very often enough, it's that one big hit that makes a difference. And if that one hit clears the fence and scores at least one, if not multiple runs, that's your game right there. That's their path to victory.
0: They don't score in other ways. That's as clear as can be. They've got to hit the long ball. Luckily, they've got some guys who can do that. Obviously, Kyle Schwarber, you know, we're still waiting on Juan Soto to homer again. It feels like it's been forever since he homered. Trey Turner hasn't homered very often lately, but there clearly is power within this lineup. We see it with Bell. You know, one thing with Josh Bell right now, which I do like, you know, he's still kind of up and down, but he certainly has been better over these last few weeks. And you don't get that sense of like, he's an automatic out anymore. I mean, you certainly felt that early in the season. You now feel like, all right, there's another gear you want to see Josh Bell get to, but it is by no means the lost cause that it seemed to be earlier in the season. And I like the fact that, okay, he dealt with this injury scare over the last few days, you know, the right side bothering him, undergoes the MRI exam, thankfully comes back clean. He's out there the last two games of the series, gets a hit in the game on Saturday, hits a big two-run homer on Sunday. So right back to getting back to being on track for the season. I think that's a good job by Josh Bell.
1: Yeah, and look, he's not, maybe not the guy who's going to go on a Schwarber-like tear that just carries the team where every at-bat you watch him like, man, what a great at-bat, and he's just making solid contact all the time. But I think quietly he is putting together a pretty good run here. The stats are since May 13th and this is going into the game Sunday, so he increased this. Since May 13th, he was hitting 297, slugging 534. His OPS was 890. That's 12th in the National League. So, and That's a pretty good stretch now. That's about six weeks that he's been doing that. Now, the season totals still don't look great because it was so awful to start the year, but – I think he is at least fairly consistently now giving them a chance in these at-bats. And when he does make contact, he hits it hard. And when he gets some elevation on it, he's hitting it a long way. That's a couple of titanic opposite field home runs on this road trip alone. Remember the Grand Slam in Philly was a similar one, and now this one. So when all the parts are in sync for him, and when he gets a pitch he can do damage with, he does damage. It may not happen three, four times a night, but if he can do it just once a night in a big spot, I think that makes a difference. And I think that's what they're basically asking of him.
0: And from the category of Pirates turned Nationals named Josh for 400, Alex, Josh Harrison ended up having a very nice series at the Marlins. He ends up being the Nats' starting second baseman in all four games, 6-for-15, With a double and five singles. Another multi-hit effort for Harrison in this win on Sunday afternoon. Two for four with a couple of singles. Had an RBI single in the game. Two out ribby single to right field with runners at the corners in the top of the first. So good to see a National come through in a spot like that. It ended up being the Nationals' only hit officially with runners in scoring position. Also had a first-pitch single. And that's four run six. It was maddening watching what went down with Harrison in the loss on Saturday because he gets on base in the latter innings, leadoff double, top of the seventh, leadoff single, top of the ninth. Nats failed to score him in either predicament. But good to see Josh do well. You know, he got off to that great start, then the numbers cratered. And now they've kind of come back up a little bit here. And he ends up doing, I think, a good job here over the course of the four games at the Marlins.
1: Yeah. You know, I was worried thinking, oh man, he's just worn down. And now that he's playing every day and that's going to catch up to him. And it was, but he's still playing pretty much every day and he's back to producing somewhat. He's figured out a way to make it work. And what I liked here is on a day when he had to hit fifth. And I think that's somewhat a reflection of his performing better here lately, but also reflection of who was in the lineup for this game. You know, Gomes was sitting, we're not going to put C Castro at the fifth spot again, not for a while. Avila was playing for Gomes and Robles, we know, wasn't going to be up there. So it was almost like by default that Harrison had to be the number five hitter. Well, that meant he came up with two outs and a runner in scoring position in the first and he delivered. He didn't have to hit the ball out of the park. Good, solid single left, drive him in, get the job done. And then he came up again in the sixth after the home runs, but he kept the rally going with a single and, and they almost had a chance to add even more at that point. So look, Josh Harrison should not be hitting fifth for you consistently. I think we all agree that's not a good sign, but On the days when maybe he needs to, at least he is contributing there, and I think he is showing that he can be a productive hitter when playing every day. I still feel like in the long run, they would be better off if they had somebody to give him a breather more often, somebody other than Jordy Mercer. Maybe that will happen come the trade deadline, but Josh Harrison's a good solid player let's not kid ourselves. He is going to help your team win. I just think they've had to ask more of him than they ideally wanted to ask of him this year.
0: Oh, yeah. No, he should have never been put in this spot. But as we've discussed, the failure of Carter Keboom has had a domino effect. And one of the effects has been Josh Harrison playing a ton so far this year. And you know, all things considered, he's not been that bad, but... You know, he's not, for the long term, someone you want out there game in, game out over the course of the 162. You mentioned Kyle Schwarber. He did not homer for a second consecutive game. I don't know what's wrong with the guy. He hasn't hit a homer in two games here. But Kyle Schwarber on Sunday, 0 for 3 with a walk. He had a leadoff four-pitch walk and the adds four-run six. He also, though, had some kind of cavorka going on where his first two plate appearances resulted in Marlins errors. Marlins were sloppy defensively in this series. That was one thing that stood out watching them. Pristine they are not when it comes to catching the baseball but Schwarber was able to get on base a few times via the air. So it was interesting seeing that. And, you know, I reference Juan Soto. We've had this Juan Soto conversation about four million times. You know, I guess maybe we make it four million and one. He ends up doing some good things in this series. He has three RBI doubles over the course of the series. He also had a single. He worked a couple of walks in this game on Sunday afternoon. He had a single and a walk, but not any home runs. Juan Soto has not hit a home run since June 9th. I mean, I know doubles are extra base hits. It's better than just a bunch of singles, which is, for the most part, we saw during that 11-game homestand. But, geez, man, both Turner and Soto have barely hit any homers these last few weeks. We can complain about different things with the Nats, but you can also flip it and say it's a borderline miracle the Nats are where they are, like, you know, something like Steven Strasburg having barely pitched this year, but Soto and Turner and neither guy really hitting homers lately.
1: And it's not like, especially in Soto's case, it's not like he's coming close. It's not like there's these balls off the bat. you jump up and go, ooh, and then it lands at the warning track or something like that. No, he's not even doing that. It's line drives, ground balls, it's opposite field. You know, it may just be this is what they're going to have to do for a while. You want to believe it's going to happen here at some point. I feel like it's just going to take one or two, and next thing you know, he takes off. But that has not been there for him at all this year. I mean, it sounds crazy to say, but from a power standpoint, at least over the last month, he and Victor Robles are basically the same guy you know? <laughs> and that's that's an indictment of both, but it's really an indictment of one. Now, to his credit, he's getting on base. He's drawing his walks. He is singling the opposite field. He, he's doing all those things. So he has not been completely unproductive. He's just not being productive in the way that we have become used to him being productive. They've been able to get through this because of Schwarber out of his mind, because Bell has started to hit again. But I do believe at some point here, Turner and Soto are going to have to lead the way for them offensively. They are the two best hitters in the lineup, no question. And the other guys are going to get cold again at some point.
0: Here's something that's a stunner. I mean, what you just said is stunning enough that Soto and (laughs) Robles are in the same spot here. Josh Bell is slugging appreciably higher than Juan Soto is this season. Raise your hand if you would have expected that. Josh Bell now is slugging 444 on the year. Juan Soto is slugging 426. I mean, just to crystallize the lack of power that's been on display with Soto. And, you know, we do see this sometimes. Sometimes really good players have down seasons or quirky seasons. Because like you said, it's not like Soto's been a mess at the plate. He's getting on base a ton. He's worked a bunch of walks. He deserves credit for those things. He's also played a very good right field. You know, that should not go unnoticed. He took a step back defensively last season and left. He's done a really nice job overall in right. But the lack of power... Stands out big time with Juan Soto. Speaking of lack of power, I mentioned this on the installment of the podcast for the Saturday loss. I do want to get your take on it. Ryan Zimmerman has really come back down to earth here. He ends up starting games one and two in this series, serves as a pinch hitter in games three and four. He had a first pitch ground out for the third out in the top of the ninth inning. Ryan Zimmerman's slugging percentage for the season has fallen by 101 points since the start of games on June 11th. His slugging has gone from 590 to 489. And you can't sit here and say, well, like he's been overused or anything like that. This is not a Josh Bell situation like Zim. Davey has been very good to Zim in terms of not overusing him. You could argue at times maybe Zim has been underutilized. But geez, like the thing he had been doing really well, hit for power, because his on base has never been that great this season. But the hitting for power really seems to have disappeared here for Zimmerman.
1: Yeah. And look, having watched him his whole career, I can't say I'm shocked. He is a streaky hitter. He always has been. Now, he was on an incredible run there to start the year, and you wanted to believe he can keep this up. And there have been a couple of seasons, I think 2017 was the most recent one, where he was really able to sustain it over the long haul. But generally speaking, he's a guy who's going to get really hot for six weeks and carry a lineup, and then probably get pretty cold for another six weeks. And that seems to be the stretch he's in right now. So, good thing that Bell is performing, and that they haven't found themselves in the spot where Zim does have to play a lot. And good thing that that Bell injury from earlier in the week turned out not to be anything because we were a little worried there he was going to miss some time. And all of a sudden, well, man, what happens if Zim has to play every day for two weeks? Is he going to hold up through that? So, you know, good all around there. I would expect some point here this summer, it's going to flip. Zim's going to go through one of those hot streaks again, and they're going to ride it as long as they can. But that's not really who he is in his career is a consistent day in and day out, good quality at bats all season long. So I'm not terribly surprised. Real quick, back to uh, Soto, because I'm looking at the numbers here. So he's now on base 399. That's close to his average for his career, 413. I mean, 399 on base is nothing to sleep on. That's really good. But the slugging at 426, that's down. Last year was 695, which was insane, of course. That's Barry Bond's territory. But for his career, 535. So he's down more than 100 points slugging against his career average. And it's just hard to see how that stays that way. Or if it does, that's not just a down year. That's something weird happened this year and that's where i do wonder in the back of my mind is his shoulder actually an issue here and he's not telling us or not telling them and we're going to find out in the offseason that it was an issue all year long because i don't know how else to explain the lack of power there from a guy who going into the season we're talking about as ted williams and a guy who is the most consistent most reliable hitter young hitter that we've seen in baseball in a long long time
0: you hope in a weird way that it is the shoulder, because if yeah. you don't have the shoulder as an excuse, then it's like, well, then what exactly is it here? I mean, he's great. No one's going to say that he's not great. So it's got to be something is hurting him physically. Otherwise, it doesn't really make sense that the power would have evaporated the way it has, at least so far this season. One more item on Nationals position players. I have saved the best for last. So you called it Victor <laughs> Robles Pack to the number nine spot maybe Davey Martinez as a loyal listener of the Nats Chad podcast wasn't even thinking it until you said it I'm gonna go ahead and just think that that's what ended up happening but Orobles was back there in that familiar nine hole with the starting pitcher Max Scherzer in the eight spot now I know Davey did explain the reasoning behind this pregame what did Davey have to say
1: well I think Davey and I may have the Kvorka going if he's not listening to the podcast we have a little sync, you know Jedi mind link going on between us. It occurred to me the other night as we were talking about Schwarber, the power streak from the leadoff spot. Boy, it'd be nice to have him come up with somebody on base every once in a while. So maybe it's time to put Robles back in the nine spot. What it started with was Davey thinking that he'd get maybe more pitches to hit in the nine spot because when you hit eighth and the pitchers behind you, everybody says that's the hardest spot to hit in baseball. Number eight hitter in the National League because nobody's going to give you anything, not with the pitcher on deck. So by hitting him ninth, maybe you see a little bit more. You know you have the threat of Schwarber behind him. So I think it started with that. And then also what I was suggesting is that maybe if he can get on base, then Schwarber can bat with some runners on base. And all of a sudden, those solo homers turn into two-run homers. Well, he reached base twice in this game, although he then got caught stealing once and uh, he got hit by the pitch and had to come out of the game when it hit his back knee. And I got to tell you, he wasn't moving around real well. X-rays were negative. They're calling just a contusion. I would not be surprised if he needs a day or two to recover from that one. You know, (laughs) I don't know what the answer is here. I think they're trying everything they can to get a guy who just is not having good offensive season, getting him going. I don't know that hitting ninth is the answer, but at some point you got to say, it's not working from the eighth spot. Let's try something different here because while he has drawn his walks and got hit by pitch and he's getting on base at a decent clip, he's just not hitting at all. Even when he gets pitches over the plate and he got in his first at bat of this game, second inning, the long at-bat that he struck out on, he got five pitches in the strike zone, Al. He took two of them for strikes, and he fouled three of them off. I think that tells you everything you know right there. Even when he gets pitches, he's just not putting them into play with any authority at all this year, and I don't know why that's happened.
0: No, he's not. I mean— I would suggest he's struggling not because where he's hitting in the lineup. He's struggling because he's struggling. He's not a very good hitter, and hopefully that changes as his career goes on. I mean, to your point, he's been brutal. In this series, he ends up going 0-7 for 7 with three walks in the hit-by-pitch. He's got a two twenty-three batting average, a three forty-four on base, which as we've noted is good, but a slugging percentage of three oh four, which is just atrocious. I'm not going to rant again on batting the pitcher eighth. To me, it's a failure of a strategy. It lowers your run expectancy. I would just ask two questions. If it's so the right thing to do, why doesn't Davey do it every game? Why does he do it for a few games, then not do it, then go back to doing it, then not do it for two weeks? If it's so obviously the smart and right thing to do, why doesn't he do it every game? And the other thing is, if it's so obviously the right thing to do, why doesn't a team like the Dodgers ever do it? And I don't mean like the Dodgers rarely do it. I mean, the Dodgers never do this. They never bat the pitcher eighth. It's not the way to go. I'm sure Davey has his reasons. I think Davey's a very good manager, okay? Just because we disagree on some things doesn't mean that I think the guy's terrible. But this, to me, I don't understand it. And listen, man, okay, to anyone who watched this game on Sunday, Alex Avila gets intentionally walked with one out in the four-run six inning. Marlins put Avila on base to get to Max Scherzer, who's batting in that number eight spot. Scherzer comes up with runners at the corners, hits into what? A 4-6-3 double play for the second and third outs, a total buzzkill to the inning. And I know it was close and Max hustled down the line and that's great, but he still hit into a double play. Like if you want to go anecdotally with batting the pitcher eighth and how that can hurt you, that right there is how batting the pitcher eighth can hurt you.
1: You're hundred percent right in all that. Now here's what I'll also say. If Robles is batting in that spot, are you really trusting him to come through in that situation? Probably not. <laughs> no,
0: but I, I trust him more than the pitcher. I get what you're
1: saying. Look, I'm not trying to say that I think this is a sound strategy. And I think in private, Davey would tell you that he doesn't really believe in this, but that this is a desperation move to try to do something for a member of their starting lineup who just doesn't hit. I mean, if Victor Robles was doing what he was supposed to be doing, he'd be hitting leadoff for them. I think we know that's what they thought they were gonna do this year, and he just has not earned it. Now, they gave up on it quickly, but ever since then he's done nothing to tell them that he deserves another crack at it, unfortunately. And so I think it's a move of desperation. And honestly, you kind of hinted at this after the game as well. He was talking about Robles. If not for his great defense, he probably wouldn't be in the lineup as much as he is. I think that's the only thing keeping him in there right now. That and the fact that Stevenson's hurt and that Parra is not really an everyday center fielder. But Victor Robles is not hitting like a big league regular right now. But they don't have any other choice. And so I think Davey has to just try to find whatever method he can to get him going. Maybe like Schwarber hitting leadoff doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but if it works, then you stick with it and and somehow it's got good karma going. Well, maybe hitting ninth will do something for Victor.
0: Yeah, here's my hope for Victor Robles is that he can be Byron Buxton. Byron Buxton was a highly touted prospect for the Minnesota Twins for years, was excellent defensively and wretched offensively. And then all of a sudden, the last few years, out of nowhere, he's blossomed offensively. And I'm not saying that that's a realistic path, because usually you kind of are what you are three, four years into your career. But that's my hope here with Robles, that somehow it clicks for him offensively at some point, the way it seemingly has clicked with a guy like Buxton. I mean, we all know Robles' glove plays. You hate to take him out of the lineup, especially with him being so good defensively at a premium defensive position. Like center field, but he is brutal as a hitter right now. There are no two ways about it. So, the Buxton path to me is is what you're hoping for at this point with Robles. You
1: hope so. Yeah. They talked about him as an Andrew McCutcheon type of player when he first came up. Well, that's not happening. If it is happening, it's going to happen way down the road. But again, he's 24 years old. We've been spoiled here by young players who've been sensational right off the bat. And I think it would be a mistake to give up on him at this point. And like we said, they don't really have an alternative, anyways. So, Keep getting great defense out of him. Hope he can reach base with those walks and hit by pitches, doesn't injure himself in the process and get by with him as your number eight or number nine hitter. We're driven
2: by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to Indeed data,
0: Hey, guys, Al Galdi here to tell you about FanDuel. It's great to be in the midst of baseball season. Nothing like watching a game. Great weather, cold drink, and a little action on FanDuel Sportsbook. If you have never bet on baseball before, now is the perfect time to give that a shot. FanDuel is letting new users swing for the fences risk-free as you'll get up to $1,000 back for an even bigger win all season long. There's a reason that FanDuel Sportsbook is America's number one sportsbook. The app is simple to use. It's got great odds on all different betting markets, unique fun bet types like same game parlay and always on promotions to let you get more action out of every game day. And when you win, FanDuel will pay you your winnings in as little as 24 hours. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up with promo code CHAT to get in on the action. That's FanDuel Sportsbook. Promo code CHAT, and games on Monday evening include Philadelphia at Cincinnati at 640. Starting for the Reds, Wade Miley, who has an ERA of 285 on the season. Cincy is feisty. Phillies are going with Spencer Howard, who has a 559 ERA so far this year the Reds or the play
3: 21 plus and present in Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, or West Virginia. First on my real money wager only for risk-free bet. Refund issued as is non withdrawable site credit that expires in seven days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.final.com. Gaming problem. Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. 1-800 bets off in Iowa. One hundred nine with it, Indiana, 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan, one hundred gambler, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia, Tennessee, 1-800-889-9789, or in West Virginia, visit www.1800GAMBLER.net. The ninth pitch to Birdie swing and a miss, he got him on a high fastball. Max with a fist punch and Birdie with a bat slam in the dirt, and Scherzer survives the two walks and gets strikeout number seven.
0: Well, we mentioned Max Scherzer hitting into the double play. He was batting in the eighth spot. He was the national starting pitcher in Sunday's 5-1 victory at the Miami Marlins. And Max was good for a second consecutive outing in his return from the 10-day injured list from the groin inflammation. Although for a second straight outing, he was pitch inefficient, at least by Max Scherzer standards. So he allows one run in six innings. You like that. He records seven strikeouts. You like that. Gives up five hits, two walks into hit-by-pitch on 102 pitches and ends up getting pulled after six innings. The five hits were a triple, a double, and three singles. He gave up a run in the bottom of the first, as in each of the final three games of this series, the Nats had trouble getting out of first innings unscathed. But Max giving up the run in the bottom of the first on a leadoff triple by Jazz Chisholm Jr., who led off the game for the Marlins offensively, the triple, for a second straight game. Then came a one-out ribby double by Jesus Aguilar. And then Max was good after that, but he did throw some pitches, did put some guys on base. Scoreless bottom of the second, Gave up a leadoff hit by pitch to Jesus Sanchez and a one-out single to John Birdie. Scoreless bottom of the fourth, Max gave up back-to-back two-out singles to Jorge Alfaro and John Birdie. Birdie, by the way, was all over the place in this series. Also had a stolen base in that inning. And then scoreless bottom of the sixth, Max issued a leadoff five-pitch walk at Garrett Cooper and then a one-out five-pitch walk of Jesus Sanchez. Though, Max did then do the thing that you've noted many times Kind of a staple of good Max Scherzer outings, right? Ending on a high note, struck out Jorge Alfaro on five pitches, and then struck out John Birdie on nine pitches. What did you make of Max Scherzer's game on Sunday?
1: So I feel like this was, in a lot of ways, a sort of classic Max Scherzer start. And when I say that, I don't necessarily mean the classic elite dominant Max Scherzer start, but the classic run-of-the-mill Max Scherzer start, which is he has a couple innings that take a little while pitch count gets up they're fouling a lot of pitches off drives the pitch count up and and so you get to the sixth and you realize this is going to have to be it for him and he's not going to go seven or eight even though he only gave up the one run but the key is he only gives up the one run so even when he's not 100% totally dominant not a huge strikeout total he wasn't even walking batters until that last inning but just off enough the opponents making him work just enough that it's going to be a little bit of a grind of a start. And what does he do? He digs deep when he has to. He gets those two big strikeouts. He empties the tank, as he likes to say. And he finishes with six innings of one run ball and 102 pitches. So yeah, there is another deer for him to get to. And some nights he has that. But what I love about him, and I think one of the reasons he's going to go to the Cooperstown, is that he has these games where everything isn't 100% locked in, but they're close enough. And he's good enough to just get through that and still limit the damage to one run in six innings that to me is the hallmark of a great pitcher you don't always have your a stuff 32 times a year but on a day when you have your maybe your b minus stuff and you still get up one run that to me is an elite pitcher
0: do you think the fact that he's only totaled 11 innings over his last two starts here has anything to do with still coming off the groin inflammation or do you think that's independent of what's happened these last two starts
1: I think it was just the pitch counts. You know, he was high in that last start against the Phillies, too. No, I, I mean, I think they'd let him go.
0: No, that's what I mean, that he's pitch inefficient because the groin is still bothering him.
1: Oh, oh, oh. Um, I mean, well, no, honestly, I think the bigger issue is that he's probably not have as good grip of the ball as he's used to. Oh, really? <laughs> that's a whole. And that's a whole, that's a whole different issue. And he brought it up again. He was asked about it after the game, and he wouldn't really take the bait this time. He said, you know, I said enough last time, but he acknowledged that for everyone that the ball... It's been tougher to grip it. He described it like a cue ball, said everyone knows it, but says, hey, these are the rules we all have to pitch under right now, so you just got to deal with it. I feel like there's a handful of pitches a game that not quite as crisp coming out of his hand. I think his misses have been a little more dramatic, but he's got to deal with it. Everyone's going to have to deal with it. Obviously, the results have been fine, so it's not impacting him that much, but I think that probably has something to do with it more than the groin, but also even the last couple of years, he'll have these starts where it goes 5 or 6 and the pitch count's up in the 90s or 100s. So it's not totally out of the ordinary for him, I don't think.
0: You know, with the sticky stuff stuff, I think it is worth noting. Things have really calmed down with that, and it does seem to be going just fine now. For all of the hubbub over that initial game, Nats Phillies, you know, George Girardi and his gamesmanship and Max Scherzer with his antics. To me, just looking around baseball, it seems to be going actually pretty well. And now when you see Nats pitchers get checked, it's not a big deal and You know, we noted this the night of that game, and I think it stands out even more so now. There was a lot of acting going on, and Max did act like a drama queen in that game. As much as we all like Max, he's a member, a highly ranking member of the Players Association, so he has a biased view on all of this, and he put on a show, and he pitched a fit that night, But the truth is, it's not nearly as big of a deal as I think he made it out to be and as some others made it out to be. That doesn't mean that MLB is right to have done this the way that MLB did it. But I think that is worth noting here. Game day in and game day out passes. It's really not that big of a drama, all these pitchers getting checked for the sticky stuff.
1: Yes. Like we said that night, he knew what he was doing. There was some performance involved in that, not just on the mound, but as he was walking off the mound. Even before we ever got to the Joe Girardi stuff, I absolutely think that Max was trying to make a point and was going to do it in a very dramatic way. And you saw in this game, at least the clips I was able to see, he did like still do the TSA extra check move where he just stood there with his arms out, eyes kind of rolled a little bit, but he didn't make that big a deal out of it. And certainly nobody else did either. This is the way it's going to be now. This is the rule. They're going to deal with it. Now, a Mariners pitcher got ejected.
3: And we might have an issue going on here with Hector Santiago as the sticky stuff police has pulled him over a routine inspection and three umpires including our home plate umpire looking at santiago's
1: glove more in depth and Scott's services out there now all four umpires are there to inspect the glove that'll be fascinating to see and is it really possible that somebody in spite of all this scrutiny is still going to attempt to do it that's pretty crazy in my mind that you'd have to be pretty stupid to try that. We'll see whatever the investigation turns up. But no, this is the way it's going to be now. And Max knows it. I think he still wishes they were allowing something to be used for grip and that maybe would help a little bit. But I also think it's not like we're seeing some kind of huge offensive explosion. It's not like we're seeing tons of hitters get hit by pitches that are all over the place. So maybe it's not quite as big a deal
0: as he was making it out to be. No. One thing we know, baseball players love to complain. They love to complain about everything. And I think this is another instance of that. What's was good to see the Nationals bullpen do well for a second straight game. You had some leakiness with the pen over games one and two in this series, but much better job over the final two games of the series. The Nats get some good stuff here in this win on Sunday. Tanner Rainey, a scoreless bottom of the seventh. Austin Voth, a scoreless bottom of the eighth. And Brad Hand continues to roll, man. He looks so good right now. Perfect bottom of the ninth inning. Brad Hand now two earned runs in 16 and two-thirds innings over his last 16 appearances. So a great job by those guys, especially Hand. And it looks like the pen will be needed for this next Nationals game because we had surprising Nats news on Sunday. Eric Fetty to the 10-day injured list. As the dark cloud that perpetually hovers over our guy Fetty remains, he's perfectly fine. And then he wakes up on Thursday with a left oblique strain, and now he's on the 10-day injured list.
1: I think it's the story I wrote about him, the interview I did with him (laughs) before the start in Philly. I don't know. This is so bizarre. You know, in this job, you try to stay impartial, and and you, you don't root for individuals, but I genuinely feel bad for the guy, <laughs> you know, I, I like him personally. He's always been a nice guy. He's always handled interviews well, but I feel for him. You're having finally this breakthrough season and it's like, whatever can go wrong is going wrong for him. He gets COVID despite being vaccinated. Now he wakes up. He said he didn't feel anything in, in that start. It wasn't until the next morning that he woke up and he said his side was bothering him. And so a couple of days later, when it didn't go away, they take an MRI and, oh, by the way, you have an oblique strain, a pitcher. How did that happen? Only to Eric Fetty. And now, look, here's the thing. I know they're calling it minor, and maybe it and You hope that's the case. But these things do take a little time. Like, you can't be throwing while you're shut down from this because you can't risk anything else happening. So he's out for a little while for that. Then you start throwing again. Now, Davey likened it to the Wander-Swerow oblique in April and called it even less than that. He said, Swarrow was a grade one, and this is something you know lower than that. Swerow missed 20 games. And he's a reliever, so he didn't need to go on a long rehab assignment or anything like that. In Fetty's case, so you got to sit out until you're cleared to throw again, then you start throwing again, then you got to build your arm up again, then you got to face hitters again, then you got to get back to being a starter again. It could be three, four weeks before we see the guy again, and it's just unbelievable that this keeps happening to him.
0: It's terrible. I mean, I was half expecting when I saw Fetty was on the IL to see that he got COVID again. You know, just said <laughs> that's just the way. Hey, look, Evgeny Kuznetsov on the Capitals got COVID twice, so who's to say Fetty wouldn't get it? Although I think Kuznetsov may have contributed to himself getting COVID, but that's another story. But yeah, man, it stinks for Eric Fetty. You hate to see this, and more to the point, I mean, Steven Strasburg is still nowhere near ready to come back. I know he's taking steps toward that, but we're not anticipating him being back for at least another few weeks. So what now with the rotation here? I mean, I guess it's what it's going to be a bullpen game on Monday against the Mets.
1: Yeah, a bullpen game. But I think my fingers are crossed that we're going to get a little Paulo Espino start out of that, maybe a combo Palo and then Jeffrey Rodriguez piggybacking him, something like that, potentially. Technically, they are reliever. So that's a bullpen game, but they're not going to call someone up. It doesn't sound like they don't really have anyone at this point at AAA who's like knocking on the door, ready to be called up. And I know where you're going to go here. They're not calling up Kate Cavalli. Ah! Deep down, Al, who would you rather see pitching this game against the Mets? Kate Cavalli or Paolo Espino? I know what your answer is.
0: Well, Paolo, of course. But, you know, it's unfair to compare Cavalli <laughs> to Paolo. I mean, it's like you're going to compare Cavalli right. to Walter Johnson. Right. Like, no, but we're getting closer. Now, let me ask you this. Do you think this becomes a routine that Paolo essentially becomes a member of the rotation and not that he's asked to go eight innings, start in, start out, but that they start doing this every fifth game, Paolo at least starts the game?
1: Well, if he's still effective as he has been, then yeah, he's probably the closest to being stretched out. I don't think they want Austin Voth to be starting at this point. He's kind of proven pretty effective here as a reliever. And on top of that, given what happened to him the last time he tried to bat in Philly and he gets hit with the pitch and breaks his nose, I think they want to avoid any at-bats for him at all. So even if his arm was stretched out, I don't think they want to put him in that position again. So it's really Espino or Jeffrey Rodriguez. And Jeffrey, while the stuff is there, you just don't know what you're going to get from him on any given night. Whereas Paolo, you know what you're going to get. And so far, it's been very effective. So I think as long as he's effective like that, it's probably his spot until Eric Fetty or Steven Strasburg comes back.
0: We do need to make this point. All right. And we love Paolo Espino. But what does it say about their lack of organizational (laughs) pitching depth, that this is what they have to turn to, that they don't have anyone else to call up, that it's Espino and Jeffrey Rodriguez? Like, that's it. That's scary, man. That's frightening. What if somebody else, God forbid, gets hurt? What if Lester gets hurt? Or God forbid, Max gets hurt? What are they going to (laughs) do at that point? I mean, I don't know, is Paolo going to start twice every five days? Like, I don't think you can do that. (laughs) Although if anyone could do it, he could do it. But it's like, they really have no pitching depth. It's incredible when you think about it.
1: Yeah, it's not good. And I think we knew all along that they really couldn't afford any of the big guys to be out for a long time. And they've managed to do this with Strasburg out. And they've managed to do that because of Fetty and Ross holding their own in those spots. But as soon as somebody else goes down, like is the case here, they're completely exposed from a depth standpoint. So you hope Fetty doesn't have to miss much time and that Powell can get the job done in the interim. And hey, look, Strasburg threw off a mound on Sunday, 25 pitches, a baby step, but it is a step. It's an important one. So he's getting closer. They're still going to slow play this. They're not rushing him back for any reason. But boy, at a time when they're facing their toughest stretch of the season from a schedule standpoint, and there's no off days. So you can't get around, you know, say, oh, right. we just use four starters because the off day. No, they need five for the next two weeks to get into the all-star break. And this is the position that they're now in.
0: Well, if it's raining anytime soon and there's lightning in the air and Eric Fetty is nearby, don't stand next to Eric Fetty (laughs) because God help us. You know where the lightning's going. It's unreal what has happened with him. Uh, Get well soon, man. I just, I hate to see that with him in the season that he had been having. Oh, by the way, so the oblique was not bothering him in his last start because he struggled in his last start, but that's not the reason he struggled or is it?
1: That's what Davey is saying is that Fetty told him he didn't feel anything until the next morning, that it did not affect him and that he didn't do it swinging either. Often, you know, that's more of a swinging injury than a pitching injury, but he's claiming not. He thinks maybe he slept funny. I don't know. To strain an oblique muscle, that seems pretty strange to me. But if anyone could do it, (laughs) it's Eric Fetty.
0: Yeah, if anyone could do it, it's him. Remember, Max hurt his neck with his pillow, right? Wasn't that a thing a few years ago?
1: It was a thing. and He he had to be scratched from a start because of it, yeah.
0: You never know with this stuff. Well, you tell us what you think. Stay away from Fetty, whatever you do. Hit us up on Twitter, at Nats underscore chat. You can always email the podcast, NatsChatPodcast, at gmail.com, including if you would like to become a sponsor of the Nats Chat Podcast, a member of the movement. Email the man behind all of this, Tim Shovers. Again, the email address, NatsChatPodcast.com. At gmail.com. You may be listening to this installment of the Natch Chat Podcast rather early on Sunday evening. This is what's known as the Bulldog Edition of the Pod. So, on days on which we have day games, we want to try to get some of these episodes out extra early for you. So, just be mindful of that. You never know when an episode of the Natch Chat Podcast will be showing up on your podcast app. And always remember, you can subscribe to the podcast. Doesn't cost you anything, but helps out the Pod a lot. Also, give us a five star rating, write like a one sentence review. Those things help out a lot as well. Nats Chat Podcast t-shirts remain available. They are selling like crazy. We thank everyone for buying those shirts that you have purchased. If you want to get yours, you can go to the website natschatpodcast.square.site. All Nationals Radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 1067, the fan for Mark Zuckerman. I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast.
3: And now, hand ready, kicks and delivers, fastball, swing, and a foul tip held by Avila for strike three. And a curly W is in the books in Miami. A very quick one, two, three inning out of the bullpen for Brad Hand as he retires the Marlins on 10 pitches and helps the Nationals split the series with the Marlins.